Welcome to a special edition of the Sports Literati Podcast. This month, instead of a new episode of our show, we're going to be digging into our archive and playing an old episode because Dave Bryan is actually off on paternity leave with his new son, who is just a few weeks old. So congratulations to Dave and his ever-growing family. We hope to see you back on air soon enough. But in the meantime, here is an episode that Dave and I recorded back in late 2020 when we were first playing around with the idea of doing a sports literati podcast and doing a podcast about sports books. When you listen to the episode, you'll see that, you know, there's some kinks that needed to be worked out. The audio quality on Dave's end is not great. And the show itself, like the structure of the show and, you know, some of the questions that we pose are not exactly the same type of questions we, you know, got into as we got our shtick a little bit more perfected as the episodes went on. But we think it's a pretty entertaining episode overall, and we didn't want to keep people, you know, waiting and waiting and not knowing what's going on until our next recording. So sit back, have a listen to this story about the Golden State Warriors, and we'll see you all in a month or two. All right, enjoy. Welcome to the Sports Literati Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Shu. And I'm your other co-host, David Bryant. Welcome aboard. Welcome everybody to the Sports Literati. The two days will be breaking down The Victory Machine by Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Now, this book is basically about the rise and the fall of the Golden State Warriors, the current or the most recent NBA dynasty. And what I think this book is really about is it basically mirrors uh, many of the great stories in history. Uh, classic story of the rise and fall of any empire that you can think of. The Roman Empire, the British Empire, <laughs> the Qing Dynasty has all the same elements. Hubris, egotistical characters, ambition, all this led to the, the same result in the end, which is the end of the dynasty. <laughs> now, Dave, tell me, what do you think the book is about? Well... The book purports to be about the making and breaking of the Warriors dynasty. But I think what it's also about in the subtext is it's about what professional sports is like in 2020. Like a lot of us as fans feel like we're cheering for a team of players that represents our city or they represent our favorite team. But what this book is really getting at is that these players don't represent those things at all. They kind of do on a superficial level because they all wear the same uniform. But pretty much beyond that, they're driven by, you know, pursuit of money, pursuit of individual happiness. They don't really care about the teams that they play for. And people who follow sports now realize that, you know, most of us spend more time looking at free agency movement and who the prospective trades will be rather than the, what's actually happening on the field and what's actually happening in the game. And I think that's what this book is about. It's about the state of professional sports in 2020, when nobody actually watches the game and we all just want to see what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if we look at this book, it doesn't actually talk about basketball at all, really. It just talks <laughs> about the characters behind the scenes. There's no X's and O's. There's nothing about uh their playing style, um, there's, there's very little about that. This is just more about the characters that are uh, behind the scenes that comprise the structure of the team right. uh, in the last five years, right? right. Um, and uh, I, I agree with you. Like, do people even watch live sports anymore? Like, <laughs> I, I think they do to some extent, but I, I feel like 
there's an undercurrent of of momentum behind watching everything that's sort of ancillary to it, right? Like free agency, mm-hmm. um, player movement. What what did this player say on Instagram or Twitter? Like those <laughs> those are the things that are driving discussions on all these sort of sports shows, right? Right. On around the horn on first take. That's well, this is what they're talking about a lot of the time. I don't know how you watch sports, but like when I was a kid, which at the, you know when i was in high school that was probably the peak of my sports fandom i didn't have that much time to watch sports and there wasn't that much on right so you might be lucky to watch like an hour or two of football in a week right or watch a period of a hockey game my parents wouldn't let me watch the entire game but now i'm an adult and you can literally watch a game every night you could watch three four hours every night there's games going on all the time right the golden state warriors play 82 games a year 15 more playoff games preseason games and that's just one team in one sport so Mm -hmm. i don't know anyone that's watching 95 basketball games in a year i guess some people do right but to me this is craziness right so obviously a lot of us were like you know what instead of watching let's just see the highlights i just need the 30 second version of what happened last night so that i can talk about it with my buddies that's good enough and i think in that universe it becomes more interesting to hear the gossip and and the stuff that's you know driving that part of the media rather than the actual game itself that's true people love gossip dave that's that's just standard that's standard fair people have always loved gossip i admit it the reason i picked up this book really i just wanted to know what happened at the end of why kevin durant left the team there's really no other reason for me to pick up this book except when i saw that it was going to be about the end of the dynasty i just wanted to read about the interplay of him and Curry and how that went down and then how he comes back and like tears his Achilles in the final. Like I thought that was what was going to put me into reading this book. And it, and it really did. This book really does get into that specifically. It doesn't, it actually neglects a lot of other things about the Golden State Warriors formation, like namely Steph Curry. Like the book basically doesn't talk about him at all. Right. It definitely glazes over his impact for sure. Right. Which is, which is strange because he's the MVP of the league multiple times. He's a very key player, if, if not the key player of the dynasty. And all they mention about him is that he was there and he kind of doesn't really want to be a leader the same way anymore because it's too time-consuming. And so he was happy to cede some of the spotlight to Durant, and that's it, right? Then he gets kind of played off as being Mr. Nice Guy. Well, Mr. Durant is, like, going around, tr- like acting like a child right so i don't know the the book does not really tell about the building of the team like in a full way but it mm-hmm. does talk about the breakup in a, in in a way that is kind of like a like a romantic comedy gone awry at the end <laughs> that's a good way to put it actually um it, you know what I, I i agree with you there's definitely more text to the the setting up of the downfall of the warriors but mm-hmm. there there's a couple of chapters where they do talk about the the beginnings of the warriors right they they there's a chapter on the owner there's a chapter on a the little coach bit. there's a chapter on the gm um it just doesn't little... it doesn't feel that substantial you know like when you come when you finish the book you look back on it and you think okay what did i read without actually opening it and seeing that there's a chapter assigned to it in my mind the pie is like 50% about Durant, right? <laughs> and and then a little bit about some other guys. And the beginning of the team is like this little chapter where Mark Jackson gets mentioned. Like, it's really just about Durant to me. 
And like 10 years from now, when we talk about this book, I'm just going to be like, it was just about Durant. The rest will be all gone by then. Yeah, it really, you could refer to it as that book about Durant. Uh, and you, you wouldn't be, that wouldn't be inaccurate if you, if you wanted to term it right. that way. Um, and I, I think you're right in that most of the juicy content only sort of arrives when uh, they start talking about Durant and they start mm -hmm. talking about how things are going wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, and that's what makes it memorable. People love that juicy gossip, as, right. as we were saying before. These are the things that sort of stay with people. And these are yeah. the things that, that, that last. And these are the things that you're going to remember. And these are the things that I'm going to remember. <laughs> I'm not going to remember about how the owner, Peter or Joe Lakeup, is it Peter Lakeup or Joe Lakeup? Joe. It's Joe Lakeup. We're not going to remember the play he did to, to buy the team, which was actually <laughs> remarkable in itself. We're not going to remember that about. Well, this you've guy. already forgotten his name, so clearly we're not going to remember <laughs> him much. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's not what this book is about. Exactly. That's the point. <laughs> What's his name? It doesn't matter what his name is. <laughs> uh, channeling my inner rock there. Um, okay. So, it, I mean, in your mind, what what is the like? What is the juiciest part of the book? I mean, you've sort of played on it a little bit. You've mentioned it a little bit, but let, let's flesh it out a little bit. For me, it's got to be this whole Kevin Durant melodrama that takes up the whole second half of the book. Like, the there's this whole sequence in the book which is kind of silly, but at the same time, pretty like engaging. Where you where the author inserts himself into the book. So Ethan Sherwood Strauss is like a beat reporter for the Warriors, and I guess he gets to know the players. And at some point, he writes an article that Durant finds offensive, right? And Durant starts taking it out on him, like giving him cut eye, like ignoring him, calling him <laughs> names. Childish. Right. Later on, later on, he, he texts Durant to ask him something and Durant starts like swearing at him. I mean, it's all so juvenile, but it's all great to read. Right. Like we just love gossip. It, again, it has nothing to do with basketball. It's just yeah. like you're at the office and you happen to be able to read somebody else's office email and read about their personal life. Right. That's basically yeah. what's happening here. And it's it makes for exciting reading. Um, and that's probably what I'll remember about this book is that it really fleshes out how bizarre Kevin Durant is acting for a superstar of his level. Yeah, absolutely. Like his, his insecurities really come to the forefront uh, mm -hmm. in this book, right? Um, like it, it, it's, it's sad. Like it, it, it's sad in a way, the way, the way he's portrayed, he's clearly uh, sort of seen as the villain in this book. Mm -hmm. And it, there's very honestly, there's probably very little of his input. It's probably not a, a well balanced take on Kevin, right? Um, but it, it probably works for this book, right? For the purposes of this book. <laughs> well, for the purpose of selling the book, but right, because that's all we're talking about right now, right? That that's well, the whole point. Well, is it good in the sense of making this a well rounded, well definitive account? of what happened right do we get that no no i don't think so i don't think so there's some holes here right there's you hear very little from steph you actually hear very little from clay mm -hmm. uh, clay thompson um you hear you hear mainly stuff from very bit players right andre iguodala mm -hmm. right you don't you don't hear much from the main guys which makes um, sense i guess the guys who have nothing to lose are the guys who aren't with the team anymore or the guys who are the glue guys, whereas mm. the, the people who are smarter just keep their mouths shut all the time. Yeah, that's true. Like Steph Curry. I mean, that's <laughs> probably why 
I mean, his absence in this book is probably to his advantage in a, in a way, right? He, you right. don't want to be, you don't want to have your words strung through the mud in a way like like KD's has. Although one of my beefs with it is like I can I can sort of see that Curry's like I think you mentioned this when we were off the air that Curry probably isn't one of his main sources for the book, mm. right? Because so Curry isn't supplying him quotes. But there's a lot of material about Steph Curry out there, right? I feel like he could have used all that, or he could have interviewed other people to talk about Steph Curry, right? To be able to write around that he didn't use him as a source and build this part into the narrative. It seems a little weird that it's not. Like, I feel like he should probably just rename the book, like, The 2019 Warriors, How It All Fell Apart. That, That should be the title. Right? And just forget the first like three chapters, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like it, and I think that the book would accomplish what it's purporting to do. But it's really not talking about the building of the team. Like, th- if if I had to pick one thing that I really did not like about the book, it would be that part, right? Like, the Warriors have a very interesting formation. Like, like there's this whole thing with Steph Curry, for example. Like, his ankles were a mess, and then he started some crazy rehab program that's well documented now. Right. Mm -hmm. Where he strengthened his feet and stopped this chain of injuries where if that had happened, he would not have become the mega superstar that he became. Right. Mm -hmm. But none of this really gets talked about. On a cheap contract. Yeah. Yeah. And he was on a cheap contract as a result of those injuries. There's a lot of like interesting backstory that they kind of just gloss over. Right. And instead, we're, we get blow by blow detail of these like text messages. (laughs) These inane like Twitter interactions. These. Yeah. these these weird interactions between the media and certain players, right? Uh, during I mean, especially during the 2019 season, where when it all sort of fell apart on them. How about you? What do you think for you would be the juiciest part of the book? Uh, to me, I, I would say the juiciest part is more conceptual. Um, the Strauss really goes into these sort of shadowy characters and, and concepts that control sports in general, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks a lot about agents and how they basically control the info that gets disseminated to the media. And so the things that we hear in the media about certain players, this is mainly coming from agents. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, te- they're, they're trying to control the narrative and basically telling us, uh, you know, the things that they want us to know, right? right. So you're not getting a really you're not getting great reporting that way. He have... goes into shoe companies and, and and talks about how Nike and Adidas and Under Armour, basically they control the biggest star athletes and control their decisions. Mm-hmm. And their decisions is really what people care about these days. You know what I mean? So in a sense, they, they in a sense control the, the, the greater narrative um, that the public is, is consuming. Mm-hmm. So as a sports fan, did you find all of this surprising? Like you surely you knew about some of this before you read this book. I think I was a bit I think I was a bit naive about it. And I've never seen it collated in a way that is very that makes it seem very rational. Like all these things are kind of disappointing and and make me sad in a way, but they're also at the same time very rational and it's explained very well in this book why it is the way it is right Mm -hmm. in a way that i can't sort of dispute like the the reasoning behind it so do you think that like after reading about this that your way of watching sports or following sports as a fan is going to change um watching a specific game probably not but i'm going to sort of 
look at everything with a lot more suspicion, right? <laughs> as to why things are the way they are, right? Why is right. this player signing with this in, in this place? Like, you, you, there's ways to connect the dots. I, I think I'll be better at connecting the dots um, <laughs> going forward. You, you know what I mean? Right. It, it, I, I felt a bit naive before. Were you surprised when Kevin Durant left by the time it actually happened? No, because this information was, was out there. Right. This information was definitely out there. But the reasons why were not out there. And I think this book sort of covers that reasonably well. Mm-hmm. The, it, it's the why of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think it, they covered it well? Because think... sort of, that was sort of your question about this book, right? This is sort of what you were most interested in with regards to this book. But do you, yes. think, do you feel satisfied? Do you feel well, satiated? I think, I, I think the two things go together, right? Because, it, because the, the book sets up the premise that we're living in this crazy 2020 sports world, right? Where, mm-hmm. where the game is secondary to this narrative that's out there, mm-hmm. right? And the mm-hmm. media narrative. And so... Because of that, it makes sense that in this world where that is so important that the game doesn't even matter. Like to Kevin Durant, it doesn't even matter if they win or lose, right? His story is more important than You that. think it doesn't matter if they win or lose? I, I think it matters, right? He, well, in the uh, sense that they won these championships and that's not enough to keep you there, right? Because from a regular sports fan point of view, it's like, why would anyone want to leave? You're on the best team ever. Right. You could go down in history with the most championships ever. Most sports fans think this way. Right. Most Golden State Warrior fans are like upset that he left. Mm. Right. So I, this is counter to that. It, this is saying that that winning these titles is not that important. It's not the be all end all. The be all end all is, you know, it's, it's some weird nebulous thing that has something to do with like fulfilling their personal ambitions and and you know resolving these petty rivalries that they have amongst each other it's weird according to this book i mean part of the issue is that durant never became the guy in in the nba right it's it's always been lebron basically since lebron has been in the league mm-hmm. and durant thought that because he's started winning titles with the golden state warriors and i mean in, in, some would say he's he outplayed lebron in the finals a, mm-hmm. a couple of times um, he, he thought that he would become the guy. He would become the face of the league, become the face of Nike. Um, none of those things happened. Right. Neither of those things happened. Um, so I, I think it, it sort of confused him, right? It confounded him. And that's probably the, the crux of it, right? Uh, and and, part, and part of the, a big part of the reason why he didn't receive the accolades he thought he was going to get is because he's sharing the stage with another mega star in Steph mm-hmm. Curry, right? If he was by far the biggest star on his team, he would he would have gotten the accolades, right? If Steph Curry was not on the Warriors and they won these titles and they beat LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, he would be considered the best player in the league. But does he get there without Steph Curry? Probably not. I highly doubt it. You know what I mean? Like he he's not gonna get there alone, and this is this sort of leads into why he he left, right? And he and why he signed with Brooklyn in this in the way that he did. Um, he he wants to start his own thing. He he's sort of seeing it that you can't just cheat your way to this mantle, right? <laughs> That's how most people see it. He joined a seventy three win team, right? That didn't win the title, 
Like he he snuck his way onto. It was a variety well, of circumstances that exactly. led to this, like a, a, a very unique circumstances, like the salary cap bump, um, the, the Golden State barely beating Oklahoma City in the playoffs, uh, Golden State barely losing to Cleveland in the playoffs. Only all these things played a part in him signing with them. Right. And at the end of the day, um, it, he didn't get satiated because. You know, he wasn't, he, people didn't respect that. People didn't like that move. Mm-hmm. They prefer uh, organic growth within a team, right? <laughs> Starting your team from scratch and organically growing it. That's what Jordan did with the Bulls. That's what Magic did with the Lakers. That's what Bird did with the Celtics. They started with the, with one team. They built around that guy on that team. They won the title. And so that guy gets the credit. That's just how it works, man. That's just how it works. It doesn't. It doesn't work if you try to team up with another superstar. It doesn't work like that. You're well, not gonna get the same credit. Yeah, like if you want to be credited with being the greatest player in the world, right? That's essentially the title he's looking for, right? He's not looking for being one of the best players. No, because that he he is one of those. We everyone acknowledges this. He wants to be known as the man. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, by definition, the man has to carry something from almost nothing to the title. And the longer it takes for him to break that, the better the narrative. Right. Mm-hmm. So from a pure storytelling point of view, his story is messed up. Right. He he joins a team that essentially had the greatest record in NBA history, was probably like like one quarter away from winning the title and 73 wins. Right. Mm-hmm. And who's going to be feeling th- like the chills watching a team that's that good? sign the second best player in the league right yeah and then give him credit when they finally win like that makes no sense right he should have realized that someone around him should have told him that like dude like don't do this right yeah yeah i mean i i I think i mean i'm not gonna say that's the only reason why he joined them to to sort of guarantee personal victory or or team victory I, i would say it's also you know, has something to do with the team culture, the the culture that they fostered, right? He loved Steve Kerr. Um, the beginning. owner, while being a, a weird guy, is an eternal optimist, right? That that sort of courses through the entire organization, mm-hmm. and that's what attracted him to it. The way they play as well. The way they play is very free flowing, uh, very fast paced. They're sort of the model for how the modern NBA wants to play, right? Right? They're the blueprint. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wanted to sign up for too. Not it's right. not it's not just to essentially guarantee a championship. Right. That was not but it comes off like that. It does come off like that. <laughs> because that that it it just comes off as lame. That's just that's all it is. It comes off as lame. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So um there's a lot of good sort of quotations in the book do you have a favorite yes absolutely so let's hear about it okay my favorite quote in the book comes from jerry west who at the time was like a consultant for the team and the quote was referring to harrison barnes who i had actually forgotten was a member of the golden state warriors he's so non-essential to the narrative forgettable yeah he actually was the guy that came before that played the position before durant joined so Durant made him expendable, very expendable. <laughs> At some point, Jerry West gets asked to describe Barnes' game. He says, feet are all effed up, moves are slow. 
And then when the author asked Jerry West about the possibility of paying Barnes in excess of $20 million a year, the West Virginian took a look at the elevator and slowly waved his hand with a languid panache. Bye-bye. I mean, <laughs> when I read that, I loved that quote because, like, first of all, Brilliant. like as, as a hardcore basketball fan, we all are hardcore basketball fans. We all have this idea that Jerry West is like a scouting savant, right? So whatever little Absolutely. nuggets of wisdom he would pass on that get out into the public, we got to gobble them up, right? And this is a nice one because personally, I have always had trouble like handling Harrison Barnes game. Like I just don't like watching him play, right? This goes all the way back to like when he was coming out of high school. He was like the top high school prospect, I think, the year that he came out. And yep. I remember out of Ames, Iowa, baby. <laughs> I remember reading about him going, planning to go to UNC. He had this whole marketing thing set up that he was going to be like the next MJ. And I watched him play some games in college. And I was like, this is the next MJ. Like he looked really stiff. Right. And I'm not Jerry West, but I'm glad to read that years later, Jerry West's evaluation pretty much says the same thing. The guy does not move properly. <laughs> <laughs> so you, what you're saying is that you should be a scout uh you should be employed by the nba that's what you're trying to say wow, right? i don't need to be employed by the nba <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i the thing about harrison barnes is he really is forgettable and part <laughs> of the reason he is forgettable is that in the playoffs uh especially for the warriors he essentially disappeared in the first yeah he got uh, he got years. too nervous or something right in the finals yeah, he couldn't he, shoot he, he couldn't do anything he he was the guy that other teams would cheat off of yeah. um, when when they're playing the Warriors. He was kind of their weakest link in mm. a way. And in many cases, in especially in playoff basketball, it, you're only as strong as your weakest link on, on offense. And he would stiffen up. He wouldn't take the open shots. He would miss shots constantly. He, he would... To, to be fair, though, yeah. he is like the worst player on a starting five that's got like four possible Hall of Fame players or something. Like it's a ridiculous lineup that they have. Well, I mean, this is pre-KD. Remember that. Yeah. This is pre-KD. So, okay, so I, three I mean, Hall of Fame, three Hall of Famers in him. Maybe. I, I mean, Hall of Fame. Are you gonna say? I mean, Steph is a Hall of Famer. You're gonna say Draymond is a surefire Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Play? Is he a surefire Hall of Famer? Absolutely. This this book lays hmm. that out for me. Like, I didn't fully appreciate how important he is, but now after reading about him in the book, like, I don't know if we'll get to this later, but he, Draymond, he is the oh, unsung Draymond. hero of the of this team. Right. Like we talked about Curry. We talked about Duran a ton. This guy doesn't get that much ink, but he is actually what makes that team go. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the book goes into how their defense is actually equal to their offense. They're mainly known for their offensive prowess. They're just mm -hmm. bomb three pointers. They have the best shooting backcourt in the history of the NBA, mm -hmm. but they're equally adept at defending, and the anchor of their defense is definitely Draymond. He right. allows them to do what they do, essentially, right? He can play, he can play center, he can play power forward, he can guard point guards, he can he can guard all right. five positions. And if he plays center, he allows them to play their their deadly death lineup, as they well, call it, right? And that's that's their lineup that dominated, absolutely dominated other lineups. In the well, league. there's two things like this book lays it out pretty clear. There's two things that the Golden State Warriors did on the basketball court end of it that changed the game. Actually, this book doesn't talk about that a ton, but one of them is Steph Curry's shooting with Thompson, right? So they're shooting at a, a three-pointers at a rate that teams had never seen before, right? Mm -hmm. But the other thing that they're doing is they're making it impossible for centers to play anymore, 
right? Up until Draymond starts playing, teams still roll out the traditional big man, which now, 10 years later, is all but gone, right? Mm -hmm. Because suddenly with Draymond, he can guard the traditional big man, but the traditional big man can't guard him. He can go outside. He can run the break. That just opened up the game completely. And it's changed the entire way the basketball is played in as much a way as Steph Curry shooting from 40 feet has, right? It's just not a way that we don't, as casual fans, we don't see it as obviously, right? We see people hoisting those threes, but the whole game has changed, and this guy is the reason of it. That's true. The average fan does not pay attention to how a player is defending typically right right that, that's left more for the analysts that's left more for the bloggers that's left more for actual teams and coaches right. right we mostly pay attention our eyes are on the offensive side of the ball and you know when our team is putting up points that's what mm-hmm. we're paying attention to we don't we only sort of see defense when like really awful things happen <laughs> that's well, really we, when we, start we see actually to it. we see defense when people make a spectacular play Right, like a spectacular play or a, or a spectacularly bad play. Those right. are the things that stand out. What we don't, what doesn't really translate to the average viewer is consistency, like right. rotations. Those are things that kind of, those are things that we don't really pay attention to and we don't, we're not impressed by those kind of things, even though those well, are the keys to defense. Well, not regular fans, but the sports literati are impressed by these things it's part of us getting deeper into the game that's right guarding that corner three oh love it love it <laughs> shutting that down that's the key everyone knows that's the key um you're so okay i'm gonna i'll, I'll get into what i think is the best quote of the book sure. and the best quote of the book to me is the very last line of the book and i think it really is a great summation of the entire book. And I'll just Mm -hmm. read it for you right now, uh, in case you've forgotten. He had left the greatest team ever, but the sun's glow remained on Kevin Durant's attenuated frame, just never offering enough warmth to make a man comfortable. That's the the line. And for for those out there who don't know what attenuated means, it means thin. (laughs) Yes. That, that, I actually had to look that up because I didn't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like it sums up the book very nicely. Uh, it talks about how he left the greatest team ever, and they are definitely on the short list of that. And the first part of the book sort of talks about that. Um, and the, the rest of the quote sort of highlights basically all the reasons why Kevin Durant left and sort of highlights aspects of his character. It's just such a compact way of of Mm -hmm. talking about it that's why i love the line it's so brilliant it's a nice line a little flowery for a sports book i gotta say but not bad yeah (laughs) a little bit a little bit flowery that's true that's true what do you who do you think won the book that's that's a key question for me who do you think is the winner (laughs) well it is sports so we must have a winner or loser and yeah, there's no ties allowed. I'm sorry. There's no ties. <laughs> For me, the winner of the book is Steph Curry. Like, he really comes off really well in the book, probably because he doesn't get mentioned that much, right? He mostly gets mentioned, especially in the second half, just as Durant's foil, but not a foil in the sense of a guy who's deliberately out to get Durant or deliberately pulling the strings. He's just the guy that Durant keeps looking at and is like, how come he gets so much love and I don't get that love, right? And the more Durant complains about it, the better Steph Curry looks, right? He almost has to say nothing at that point, 
right? Yeah, yeah. Just his silence is is yeah. gives I mean, him the advantage. Steph there. Curry, for whatever reason, already has this image in the public eye of being Mr. Nice Guy, right? Like underdog story, tiny, like any of us could be him <laughs> for all practicality, all intents and purposes, right? Even at the very end, like there's this scene where like Durant is about to announce that he's leaving, right? Curry gets on a plane or something and flies to Asia to try to like have one last sit down with Durant, but Durant won't let him have it. He announces that he's leaving before the plane arrives, right? So even in that scene, Durant kind of comes off looking like a jerk and Curry just looks like he got played because he was innocent, right? Mm -hmm. So all these things, he just comes off as being Mr. Hero as usual, right? Which is probably not really true either. Like if we're thinking about like how you know, nobody in life is perfect and no one's, you know, a perfect hero. No one's a complete villain. But for the purpose of this book, he comes off as a winner, I think. Mm, I have two winners. Um, <laughs> my first winner, yeah, Steve Kerr, the coach. <laughs> and the reason is that Steve Kerr wins every time. I don't know if you know this, but he's the consummate winner. He, um, did, not, he did not win the NCAA championship in college. They only got to the final four his senior year. Shout out to Sean Elliott. <laughs> That's right. Nineteen eighty-eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so he doesn't win every time, but NBA-wise, his DNA sort of courses through NBA history. Basically, since he's gotten there, um, mm-hmm. he won. He won championships with Jordan at the height, uh, at the apex of that dynasty. Right. He won championships with the Spurs uh, with their sort of unorthodox dynasty. Mm-hmm. He sort of descends from the Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich coaching tree, which is about as good as it gets, really. Like those are probably the two <laughs> preeminent coaches of the last 30 years in the NBA. Hey, 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 um, don't forget about Pat Riley, all right? Nah, I haven't forgotten about Pat <laughs> Riley, but uh, he, uh, to me, Pat Riley is more from the 80s. These guys are more from the 90s and beyond. Basically, all right. Um, and now he and now he's sort of leading the Warriors dynasty. Um, I don't know if you've watched the uh, the MJ documentary, The Last Dance, or the Bulls documentary, The Last Dance, but he really comes off well in that as well. Like he comes off well, he's as a, he's a, a very regular, eloquent guy. Yeah, yeah, eloquent guy, down to earth. He's sort of self-effacing, right? He he comes across as a regular guy, but he has a, a personality and a sense of humor. And mm-hmm. somehow he can he can turn that into being a successful coach. He doesn't come across as a typical coach. The typical coach we think of is someone who's like barking at the players, right? Getting them in, in gear, getting them in shape. But he's not like that. He, he His ethos is playing with joy. And they really, during during the course of this dynasty, they really reflected that, no. uh, that, that core value. Did you feel like he was losing control of the team towards the end? Like, I he there was. were some parts that were he's clearly like starting to like he's starting to give up. <laughs> <laughs> he's starting to give up, and I think that's what happens with every dynasty: is every, everyone starts to wear out their welcome, everyone starts to get tired of each other, everyone starts to get tired of the same old thing. Um, that that's just the way it is, especially in this generation, right? Like. Most of these players are millennials, right? And millennials typically change jobs every 18 months. So it's hard for these guys to stay with the same teammates and the same coaches and the same you know, management year after year after year without it grading on them. And I think 
Kerr suffers because of this, because these guys are sort of at each other's throats by the mm. end. So, but he still comes off well, and that's why to me he's he's one of the two big winners in the of the book. The other big winner is the author Ethan Sherwood Strauss. <laughs> Basically, he parlayed his beat reporting job with the Golden State Warriors into this, you know, very overall well-received book, I would say. Well, well-received on the Sports Literati podcast. It's definitely a success. For for me, for me at least. I know I, I have a feeling that you you're not as high on it as I am. <laughs> that's that's my feeling from talking to you. And the more that I talk to you about it, I feel like how high I am on it gets sort of cut off a little bit. Like I'm starting to get a bit lower on it now that I'm starting to see it from your point of view a little bit. Let's go back to your initial point about like the dynasty and how it's going to fall apart after a couple of years and how that's a common thing. Yep. And Kerr was having trouble managing that, right? Do you feel like this whole adventure where they go and sign Durant and then they get two more titles, right? But then the whole thing falls apart, right? It completely falls apart right after. Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? Like, couldn't they have won those titles without Durant? Like, couldn't they have hired another guy that would fit in with the program? Because if you look at the ex- out- exterior view, yeah, if you look at from from afar, Curry, Draymond, Clay, they look like they actually could be happy playing together for a long time. Like, they don't look like the typical, like, you know, married with children fighting family, mm. right? And now you introduce a really great player who's a bit of a head case and... And that's the thing that tips this over. Like, of course, it brings them a couple more rings, but they might have gotten those rings without him, I feel. It's highly possible. It's highly possible. Um, I I think they would have probably won at least one more. Mm-hmm. Um, two, two in a row. I, I don't know. I think that's sort of stretching the limits of their ability. The league was starting to catch up to them. Um, then they weren't playing as well. They just weren't playing as well. Um, mm. I think some of it had to do with the toxic sort of relationships on the team, but some of it has just had to do with the league starting to figure out what they're trying to do, basically, mm. right? And it's hard to keep doing that over and over again without the league sort of catching up to you. Mm. Fair enough. So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know what you mean. Like, they, they sort of... They got Durant. They sort of played with the devil just to get these extra couple of, of titles. And um, in the end, was it worth it? If you were a Golden State Warriors fan, I would say yes. You would say absolutely. It was worth I mean, it. Three titles I mean, in four years. We're from Toronto, years. right? And mm-hmm. the land of the Raptors. Just getting one ring, like the taste of that one ring in your lifetime is worth it as a fan, right? So usually... Absolutely. Fans look at it and say, whatever you can do to bring me a championship, because these things come around once every 45 years or something, is worth it. Right? On average, yeah. Yeah, but but for the Warriors, they were already at the top. They could have pretty easily gone you know, gone in with the same team and been very close. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I don't know. And, and in a way, if they had won, it probably would have been more satisfying. Mm-hmm. If, because they won with Durant and they won fairly easily it just felt like they won with a stacked deck and it's just not as satisfying <laughs> right so it's and, now now that whole championship is devalued right like it's devalued yeah, exactly like if we were going to rank like the last 10 years of championships and which ones were the most valuable and which ones were the least that those two are pretty near the bottom right they don't add much to steph curry's credentials as a player they don't add much to durant's credentials as a player the title that's worth the most 
is when the San Antonio Spurs beat the Heat, that one. Like, when Duncan was near the very end, that one. And no one thought they were going to beat them. And it, and it was the year after Ray Allen's shot. Like, that came out of nowhere and just lifted Tim Duncan to another level, right? In you that sense. that was the most valuable. Okay. That's the one, to me, that's the most valuable. I, I, would, I would rattle off two others. I would rattle off the... Uh, Dirk Nowitzki Dallas Mavericks title when they knocked off the big three from Miami the, the first yeah, but, year. They were but together. that year, the Heat were not that good, right? So you're beating a team that's kind of like hasn't really ascended yet. But for the Warriors to, uh, for the Spurs, Spurs to beat the Heat at the tail end of it, most people picked the Heat to win that series, if I remember correctly. Absolutely. Absolutely. They were the favorite, yeah. clear favorite. Yeah. Um, the other one I would point to is the, is Cleveland knocking off the uh, Warriors. To me, that, that um true i forgot really about that one. lebron like to me to me that's probably the most valuable one of the decade if, you're, if we're going by your version of valuable right true. this is the first title for cleveland in in any sport in like i don't even know how long 50 years something like that right over 50 years mm. and it's it's against basically the greatest regular season of all yeah. time. Like, you're, I don't you're know right. how you get more that valuable one, than that. That one takes the cake. I just have this Cleveland Browns blind spot in, in my in my mirror. I can't see them. <laughs> um, and, and, and I would say that LeBron, and I've heard him say this before, them winning that title sort of stakes his case as the greatest of all time. He's not <laughs> the greatest of all time, but... He claims he's the greatest of all time based on that victory. Well, I th- I think the interesting thing about all of this is we just actually are just talking about sports as narratives, right? Like t- everyone just wants to he- read the story, right? And mm. and no one ever identifies it that way, but that really is what it is. It's like LeBron spinning a story of his career, Durant spinning a story. Which story do fans like better, right? So fans are like which story do they like better well of course the story of the guy who went back to his hometown that hadn't won a title in 50 years and finally brings them a championship after he left town when they were burning his jersey like that's a great story right it's a great story Absolutely. i mean the duncan story that's a great story too like they came back from this like heartbreaking loss the year before everyone thought that was his last chance Washing. and then and then they yeah. they win it again durant's story is what we said earlier he was frustrated, so he joined the team that defeated him, a team that already won 73 games and is now yeah. adding like a fourth all-star player onto their lineup. Like it's it's not the same story. It's more, it's a no. villain story, right? It's it's like it's like Star Wars where the empire is getting bigger and bigger. Like no one wants to read that. They want to read the fall of the empire. It's the, it's the evil empire basically. Yeah. That's basically what they are. And, and after the first title uh that they got every preceding title does get devalued even if wasn't durant wasn't involved each title after the first one does get devalued a little bit it's not quite as sweet unless some time has passed by (laughs) i don't know know the michael jordan documentary seems to show that the last title is pretty sweet (laughs) but for a fan from a fan's perspective is it as sweet as the first one i i don't think so i don't think so because Chicago was a sad sack franchise that couldn't dream of a title. When they won their first title, I mean, that was probably, I think that was somewhat unexpected from a franchise trajectory point of view, right? This is kind of like the typical guy thing, right? Where the first time they get laid is the time they remember the most. And <laughs> afterwards, all it's all, it's all downhill. The sixth time there. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> it's not memorable. 
<laughs> it it really is sort of like that. <laughs> so, I mean, the, we've been talking about this book for a long time, so it's probably a good time to like get to a conclusion of some sort. What's your take-home message for people who are thinking about reading this book? Yay or nay? What do you think? What, what's your overall feel? Uh, I would say yay, um, with the caveat being that if you're a big Kevin Durant fan, <laughs> you probably shouldn't read it. You're not going to hear anything that you like. Um, you, you might get a tainted view of your of this superstar, right? Mm-hmm. You, you may not like him as much. So I would say any basketball fan should read it. Anyone who's interested in the current basketball age, uh, anyone who's interested in the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Initially, I thought, you know what? This is not for a Warriors fan either because they probably know most of the stuff that's there. But I think it's a nice summation of the sort of events that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when you're a fan, you're watching, if you're a diehard, you're watching day to day, all these little pieces of information are there, but there's nowhere where it's sort of collected all together. Mm-hmm. And this, this book probably collects it quite well and it would be a nice sort of recollection of what happened. Sure. With, provided you also have a biography of Steph Curry to put right next to it. So you got both. <laughs> you, you, exactly. <laughs> read the biography of Steph Curry first and then read this book. And that should be a complete picture of uh, the Golden State Warriors. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I think that sums it up for me, too. Like, I enjoyed reading this book. I don't think I would put it in my, like, pantheon of like the greatest sports books of all time but we have time to get to that at some point in the future yeah the greatest sports book i've read in the last year i'll give it that <laughs> but as i said before I'm, I'm kind of a rookie when it comes to this but i i found that i couldn't i mean i couldn't i couldn't stop reading it i couldn't stop turning the pages well, i was i was that into it greatest sports book until next month on the sports literati podcast <laughs> can't wait all right see you guys all then See you later.